If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. We'll be looking at a few verses there. Can I just ask you a personal question? Do you like to be confident about things? Do, do you like to have just a general sense of assurance? You, you go to the bank and your hope is that in depositing your paycheck at the bank that they're going to take care of your money, right? You're hoping that when you meet with your uh, retirement investor person, that they're actually making pretty good decisions with your money so that when you get to retirement age, you've got something to live off of, right? Does anybody want to work until they're 95? <laughs> I've got one hand out there. There we go. Work until you're 95. Yeah. We, we have organizations that are designed to provide some assurance for us. The Federal Depository Insurance Corporation. FDIC is what your bank would have. So that if something should happen, the federal government insures your money up to $250,000 if you bank with that bank. That's supposed to provide you some assurance, right? Or maybe you're part of a credit union and so you're, you're covered by the National Credit Union Association. Remember NCUA. That's something that's to provide some assurance for you that, that your financial investment would be okay there. Oh, maybe you have supplemental insurance. You go and you, you're getting hired for a job and they go over all the benefits and we're going to put this into your 401k and we're going to provide you with this option for insurance. And then we're also going to offer you something else through AFLAC, American Family Life Assurance Corporation, an extra insurance policy just in case you get hurt, just in case you get sick, just in case something happens. That's what we like, right? The assurance. Does anybody want to get behind the wheel of their car and push the brakes and feel nothing? No, you want the assurance that when you push that pedal to the left, there's going to be a little resistance to it that lets you know that they're going to stop the wheels from turning when you need them to. This past week, we were traveling to see family and we went and saw uh, my, my wife's mother has a place up in the mountains and my, uh, my parents live in, uh, just outside of Hendersonville, North Carolina. So we're, we're, we're driving Thursday from Hendersonville, North Carolina, down Interstate 26, down uh, towards Spartanburg, South Carolina. We're going to go to Christie's grandmother's. And there's this stretch of Interstate 26 where you're coming down the mountain at about a 7% grade. And I started looking around and I noticed something for the first time. I've traveled this road many, many times in my lifetime. I noticed something for the first time. Man, you get caught up on this one stretch. You're coming down the side of the mountain through Transylvania County, North Carolina. And you can look over and it's just beautiful out here to the side, out here to the right side of the road if you're heading, heading south. And you can just see for miles and miles across this expansive valley. But there was something missing. The emergency ramp for runaway semi-trucks. 
Should their brakes fail, that extra ramp over there that's padded with as much of sand to let them sink down into to keep them from causing mass chaos. And as I'm driving, I didn't tell Chris this because I didn't want her to panic. As I'm driving down this, I noticed there was a semi that was coming up on our other side. I was like, I'm sure hope his brakes work because I do not want to get run into this concrete median. I didn't have any assurance because there was no runaway truck ramp over there. The little things in life that give us assurance that something's going to be okay even when other things are not. We look for those every step of the way. John is going to give us something in 1 John chapter 5 that gives us a greater assurance than even what our depository insurance corporation, our braking system, our financial piece, our insurance companies, anything that they can give us. And he gives us these words starting in verse 13 of 1 John chapter 5. He says this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give for him, give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. Because there is sin that leads not to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for a time to to remember all the beautiful things you have done in our lives. You've provided for us. You've given us family. You've given us community. You've given us a a church family, a place where we in the community of faith can can sing praise. Lord, you you have made a way for us. You have given us peace. You have kept your promise, Lord. So this morning, as we look in your word, I pray that we would stand with the assurance of our faith on the promise that you have made that you would come and get us, that you would hold us forever because we are your children. We are children because of our faith in Christ. Lord, we love you. Teach us your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's the deal. We just read this passage out loud. And I know you're probably thinking, wait, what, is those two, what do those two verses have to do with those two verses, right? You're talking about so that you might know. And now there's like sins leading to death. I promise we're going to get all this and we're going to cover it. And if any of you are committing a sin that's leading to death, we're going to expose that. Okay. And we're going to make sure that you don't get led to death today. All right. So let's look here at this passage of scripture because John is giving us something that we can stake our ground on, that we can come and understand together. He's giving us assurance because the word of God provides assurance for our our salvation. The word of God is given that we might know for sure that we might have the ultimate assurance of our heart about what the gospel has accomplished. Look at what he says, starting in verse 13. Everything that you have read thus far, we're in chapter five, verse 13. So the first five chapters and 12 verses, I have written to you that who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know. And that's a pretty strong statement. 
I have given you my entire purpose for writing this letter, letter of 1 John, is that you could walk away having read these words and that you could know that you could have full assurance, that you could have all the confidence, that you could have all the bravado, that you could stake your ground, that you could hold fast to the fact that you have been saved. I love this verse. Several years ago, there was a book written by J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. J.D. Greer is the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. But the, the book that he wrote was called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Now, I know at first glance, you're like, wait a second, that doesn't sound good. His whole premise in his book is there are too many people in too many churches that get saved over and over again. They continue to struggle with their confidence of their salvation so they think, well, if I could just go to that retreat or that camp or if, if I could just get saved, if, if this pastor or this Bible teacher could lead me to Jesus, if I could just get saved this time, then I'll be okay. And so time, man, they've got a well, they've got a well-worn path from their pew to the front of the church where they go and continually give their, ask Jesus to come into their heart. And his whole purpose is stop doing that. Stop wearing down what the gospel has given once for all and stand with confidence in the fact that if you're in Christ, you are saved. Now, I know the language might sound a little shocking. We want to invite Jesus to our heart, right? We want to follow Ephesians chapter 3, that Christ Jesus would dwell in our hearts by faith. But the point is, if you've come to him in faith, we can know for sure. We have the word of God. We have scripture that has told us you are secure in your salvation. You can know. That's a beautiful statement. You can know. It's not my words. That's what he says. I have written this so that you may know. That you may know what? That you have eternal life. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Because there is a real enemy that's going to cry, try to make you doubt. There's an enemy that's going to sneak in and slither up beside you and whisper into your life, no, you're not okay. You need to try harder. You need to be a better person. You have failed too often here. God doesn't truly love you because you did this. God is holding this over you. You have not earned it. You have not gotten there. And all of these doubts creep in and we start looking at everything around us. Well, you know what? I didn't go to Sunday school that Sunday. Oh, I, I didn't tithe. Oh, I wasn't nice to my neighbor about the, the, the leaves that were blowing out of his yard into mine. I did get cranky with the, with the waitress because she brought the wrong meal to us. Oh, I, and we start, we start looking at all the behavior and we start thinking, well, may, maybe I'm not. And we fall into this trap of trying to teeter out and weigh out the, the bad and the good. Well, well, maybe if I can balance the scales, I'll be okay. No, no, I've got a little bit more good. I'm, I'm tilting this way. I'm okay. No, no, the gospel says, look at what the word of God has said about who you are, what the cross of Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so when we say that we know him, we can have the full assurance that we have eternal life. We can know for sure. And that's a Thanksgiving sermon right there. 
Give thanks to God because we can know by the statement of his word that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, that we have been redeemed. We can know. But what do we do with this? What do we do with this knowledge? Look at where John takes us. He says, I've written these things so that you who say you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence. This is the nature. Oh man, I love that word confidence. I love that word confidence. This is the confidence we have in our salvation. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ultimately, assurance of our faith is exercised in prayer. Assurance is exercised in prayer. Think about it with me this way. If we do not believe that God is good on his promise for salvation, why would we go to him for anything else? Right? If, if, if what God has said in his word isn't actually true, if we aren't really saved for eternity, if we don't really have this security and assurance, then why would we go to him for our basic needs? But because we have the assurance, we can trust that he hears, that he listens, that he knows our prayer and our request. And John says, you want to exercise your assurance in faith? Just pray. Prayerlessness is a function of pride. Prayerlessness is an opportunity for us to say, you know what, God, I can handle this. I don't need you to intervene. I don't need to carry this to you. I don't need your help. I've got this. Hmm. That's prideful, right? That, that's prideful. When we start thinking that we've got it, that we've made it, that we can handle it, that we have earned it. It's all me. Look at me. We're basically saying, Lord, I don't, I don't need to have faith. I don't need to trust you. I don't need to depend on you. Do you really believe in yourself that much? That you can face everything in life on your own? See, the gospel pulls us in not to build us up with this self-help mentality, but to show us that we have a true and mighty living God who loves us enough to save us. And because his promise of salvation is secure, we can exercise our faith in going to him in prayer. And he says, he says, and if we pray according to his will, he hears us. You, want, you, want, you really want to test God? Pray. You, do you really want to see if God is real? Pray. I'm not talking about pray like God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, buy his hands, we shall be fed, give us what our daily. That, that's a good prayer, that's great. I, I'm talking about actually pray. Something that you know you can't do on your own. Students, I know you're going to have finals coming up in the semester. I'm not talking about don't study for your final and pray that God gives you an A. I'm not asking you for that. Maybe he will, maybe he'll let you fail so you'll know how to work hard. I'm talking about pray for something that's, that's real. You struggling in your marriage? Pray that God would give you the strength to love your husband or love your wife as Christ loved the church and live and sacrifice to them. You struggling at work? 
You got that coworker, the gum smacker, the close talker, they're right there in your face and they just drive you nuts and you just want to karate chop them in the throat every time you see them just because they're there. Pray that God would help you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving someone the way we love ourselves is the hardest thing to do because we naturally gravitate towards what benefits us and what gives us the most glory and renown. And we, maybe we're meek and we want to say, oh, that's not me. Ultimately, that's who we are. It's called, it's called survival instinct. It's innate, not, it's not, not innate to our biology. It's innate to our sinful condition and why we need a savior. Take, take that to the Lord. Maybe you're struggling financially. And, you're, and here, here it comes, Evan. I know, I know, preacher. Give to the church and you'll be okay. No, no. I'm not going to say give to the church, you're going to be okay. Here's what I'm going to say pray that God would help you to see your finances and your resources as His possession, His property, and seek to honor Him first and foremost. Oh, but I need the 100% in order to live. Okay, I understand that. That's why you're praying in faith. Lord, Lord, I, I can't physically see it on paper how I can afford to give to you and make ends meet. But Lord, I'm going to pray and ask that you show me how as I give in faith. Believe me, God will hear. Notice it says there in the passage. He says he hears when we pray according to his will. According to his will. See, we've got to get that part right in our prayer. We've got to get that part right in, 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 our, in our life of faith. Too often we pray according to our will. Too often we pray according to what is the desire of our heart and not according to what God would show us that would be his will. So, so we, we pray and, and they sound more like us than they do about the word of God. See, the word of God gives you assurance of your salvation because in the word of God, we find out how to pray the will of God and how to walk according to his purpose, his plan, his direction. And he gives us this great assurance of our faith because we're seeing his hand at work every step of the way. Some of you have put God to that test. Some of you, some of you have, have heard have heard sermons on prayer and have, have heard Bible teachers uh, teach so wonderfully about prayer. And you've taken that challenge and you've put that into, li in, into life practice. You said, you know what? I am going to test and see how God works in our lives according to this way. And, 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 and you've seen it. And you're sitting here today as a living testimony of the fact that God does hear our prayer. God does answer our prayer. As he says over in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 7. He says, as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Why? Because my God will hear me. Ooh. Think about that promise that Micah is making of who God is. This is a God that hears. This is a God that answers prayer. He says, I will wait expectantly most of the time we don't pray because we don't expect that God's going to do anything. Most of the time we don't step out in faith because we don't expect that God is a God who still honors his people with, with, with blessing, with, with good, uh, um, uh, with, with, with joy and with peace and with mercy and, and, and fulfills our every need. That his Holy Spirit is still active in us. He says, I will wait expectantly. Kind of... Growing up, we had a dog. It was my sister's dog. His name was Chico. He was a little, 
I don't know what kind of dog he was. He's like a little mutt, sort of a mutt. We don't know what his dad was. His mom was a Pomeranian. But he probably weighed like six pounds soaking wet. But like if you looked at him, you thought he'd weigh more because he was one of those puffy dogs, right? Like he had hair. Like he, he, he was one of those dogs that you take him to like the, the groomer and it's like a completely different dog. He loses like 40 pounds just getting a haircut because of all the hair. Well, my oldest sister, Carol, had, had, a, had a little Oldsmobile car that had a bad muffler. And, and when I say bad muffler, I mean, you could hear it literally a mile and a half down the road when she was coming. It was a straight shot from the way she had come from work straight to our house, about a mile and a half. You could hear it. And so could Chico. See, Chico knew that that was his owner. He belonged to her. And we had a couch in our living room that kind of sat by the front window or whatever. And he would hear that muffler and he would run and he would climb up in that and he would sit there perched in the window and just wait. And as he saw her turn onto our street, he would start running around circles, going crazy, going this, because he was waiting with expectation that she was going to show up. But we don't pray that way. Micah says, I will wait expectantly because God will hear. We don't expect God to show up because we're not really sure because we have not stopped to say, you know what? The word of God was given to give me assurance of my faith, assurance of my salvation, assurance of who God is, assurance of who God has made me to be. So I will pray with expectation that this is my God. This is my God. And then he shifts gears a little bit. He says, starting in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for, will for him give life to those who do not commit sin leading to death. I know that is an odd verse, isn't it? And some of you are thinking, well, what are you going to do with this one, Evan? <laughs> I read ahead this week. How are you going to handle this? If you have assurance of your salvation... God will use it to equip you to be bold in how you address sin. Assurance of my salvation equips me with boldness to address sin. You think, okay, what does assurance of salvation have to do with this? Your church people. I'm going to talk to you like church people, okay? Church people are really, really good at seeing everybody else's sin. Church people are really, really good at pointing out what somebody else did wrong, right? We'll talk about it on Facebook. We'll talk about it, you know, in We'll even talk about it in Sunday school. We're good at that. You're not going to believe what she did. Could you believe what he said? Did you know that they had this going on at their house? I saw what they posted on social media. Man, I tell you what. We're going to get to heaven one day and God is going to personally handshake us for being social media police. Said no Bible verse ever. We're, we're good at that. 
And we like to brazenly say, well, it's because I am saved. It's because I am a Christian. It's because I know the Lord that I can point these things out. But notice what John does here. Notice how John shows us what boldness in addressing sin actually looks like. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. John was writing a couple thousand years ago. He didn't have internet and didn't have Instachat and all these Snapgrams and all these things like that. He wasn't in the social media world. He didn't even have a rotary phone. But John knew human nature. He says here in this passage of scripture, you're going to observe someone that is committing sin and by the grace of God, it's not a sin that's going to kill them. It's not a sin that is putting their life mortally in danger. So it's not leading to death, but they are committing the sin nonetheless. And because you've seen this, you have one responsibility. Take it to God. You want boldness to address sin, you go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, here, wait, wait a second. We've already been to the Lord in prayer. We're asking the Lord to pray to grant all these prayer requests that we have. And we've been asking him for this and this and this. And wait, what about when it comes to sin? See, first and foremost, what we find is that we can confront sin in our own lives. I can confront sin in my life. I see sin. I go to God about sin. Now, I want you to think about it for just a second. If that's your pattern, when you see sin in everybody else's life, why not make it the pattern in your own life? You're not going to confront sin on your own. You're just not. What you're going to do on your own is take that sin and kind of medicate it. You're going to pacify it. You're going to doll it up a little bit. You're going to soften it. You're going to, you're going to take the, the sting, the edge of the, the sin off of it. You ever get a big bad scrape on your knee and somebody comes with that spray can of like benzocaine or whatever it is that just burns like somebody is blowtorch firing your knee? It's like, they, they, it's like sit still. This will only hurt a second. They start spraying that thing. And seriously, it's like they've got a torch and they're just flaming over your knee. Just go ahead and cauterize it. Cut the leg off right there and we'll be done. Some of you prefer that you just take a nice cool rag and just kind of blot it a little bit because it doesn't burn as much. So that's what we do with our sin. We, we don't come in with something that's going to that's going to be an antiseptic, something that's going to actually take away what is the wickedness of our sin. What we do is we try to blot it, try to clean it up just a little bit, just enough that we can get a Band-Aid on it, then we'll be okay. But see, what happens when we go to the Lord in prayer concerning sin is we have to front face-to-face with God, the holy God who can see past our intentions, past our our churching it up, past our pacifying, and say, no, we're going to deal with this head on. Just just think for just a second. You go to the doctor this week. You're going to go to the doctor, and he's going to run a couple of tests because you've had these symptoms going on. He's had some, some things that just aren't exactly right. And your doctor comes in and says, yeah, well, 
I, I'm, I'm going to give you this, this little pill because you've got, you've got this thing kind of growing inside your lungs. And it's probably pretty dangerous. But I think, I, I think if we just you know, give you some, some Tylenol um, and, and treat you with this, I, 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 think, I, I think you can just go on. You'll be okay, right? He's like, well, tell me a little bit more about what, 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 what you're finding there. What is, is, it like, is it like an infection? Do I have like, you know, bronchitis? Well, no, there's, just, there's something kind of growing in there. And I, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to. So, so we're just going to try to treat it. Treat it gently. Doctor, what are you telling me? Well, I don't want to use this word because it's, it's not a popular word. It's, it's not a word that people like to hear. So, you've got cancer. Are you going to trust a doctor that deals with you that way? Then why do you trust yourself? See, the assurance that we have of our salvation comes because we have a Savior who boldly points into our life and says, this is sin and you need me to get rid of it. And it might be painful to get rid of it, but you, by the power of my Holy Spirit, can confront this and can fight this because I'm fighting it for you. He says, when you see this sin, you go and God will give for him, will give for him, give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. In other words, God's going to handle it. Let God be the one to decide as we work with him in prayer. That's assurance. And because we can confront sin in our life, we can intercede for the sin in the life of my fellow Christian. This is where church people a lot of times get it wrong. Plain and simple. We forget the interceding part. We have a conversation about it. We we, we talk to another being about the sin in someone's life. But it's not the right being and it's not for the purpose of seeing them overcome this sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's to say, did you know what they did? We're good at that, and we shouldn't be. Because ultimately, what we're doing is we're basing our assurance, when that's our mode, we're basing our assurance on the fact that we're just a little bit better than they are because this sin's not being talked about in my life. But when we have assurance of our salvation based on the blood of Christ Jesus, the gospel of him who came and was born of a virgin, lived 33 years, was crucified, rose again, shed his blood for us. What we're saying is I can take their sin to the same Savior and ask that God would deliver them like he delivered me. In 1873, there was a lady named Phoebe. Phoebe was a musician. Phoebe was having an organ installed in her house. And she had just come up with this new catchy little melody that she wanted to play. She had a really good friend um, who was blind. And her friend came over as the organ was being installed. And she talked with her friend and said, you know, let me tell you something. I've got this new melody. And I want to play it for you. And I want to get your thoughts. So Phoebe sat down at the organ that was being, being installed there and set up in her house and She started playing this melody. Her friend, who's 
was blind and was, was a poet of sorts, sat there quietly listening. Phoebe got to the end of this piece that she had just kind of come up with and said, Miss Fanny, what did you think about this song? The words that Fanny J. Crosby spoke right after that were this, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There in the living room, she's expressed something about her faith, her assurance. And I want to ask you this morning, what have you done with the gospel? Have you based your life, the assurance of everything you have on the fact that Jesus is yours? He is your savior because you have trusted him. Or have you stepped back and said, no, I'm going to do this on my own. Are you taking him at his word and making him your savior, but also running to him with prayer, with every need, no matter how big, no matter how small, it's not too important, it's not too finite, that God cannot see to it and handle it. Are you running to him because you know that you can trust him? Where's your assurance today? Is it on him or is it on you? Is it assurance that, that he has rescued you or is it assurance that he is somewhere out there But you're going to figure this out on your own. Let me ask you this morning. Trust him. Give your life to him. Put your hand in his hand. Let him lead you as only the savior of the world could. Find this blessed assurance that you know that you have eternal life.